Good morning. It's great to see everybody here. This is a little unusual that we have both a retreat and a regular Saturday program. Um, so it's a nice mix of folks. Um, and I want to say to start to just the, the folks that are in the retreat um, that last night in, in her um, instruction on walking meditation on Kinhin, Mako mentioned that um, our school, the Soto school of Zen, <clears throat> is the gentle school. <laughs> um, and I think that's true. I think that, that sort of uh, a spirit of gentleness is important in our practice. So I hope that you are um, you know, being gentle with yourself as we begin the retreat. Um, I think you know, we are kind of walking into a whole different world when we, when we begin a retreat. Um, different ways of doing things, lots of kind of new information. So you know, we make our best effort to be awake and aware of what's happening around us, but also when we're kind of not able to take it all in, to return to just some kind of um, feeling of gentleness towards ourself. play a role in our in our life we all play many roles um, so to somebody else you know I may be their friend or uh, sibling you know you might be a parent um, or a child um, and In Zen, these roles become a, a vehicle of our practice. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I think we start from somewhere of kind of knowing what it means to be a friend or um, what it means to be a child um, to a parent or something. But um, <clears throat> I don't think we're often aware of how we're switching from role to role um, and how we're different people in each, each role that we play. And I think Zen practice has kind of helped me become more aware of this. Um, and it's, um, especially in our lineage and in this style of Zen, it's, it's very deeply rooted practice. So if you move to the monastery, um, if you live at Tassajara, um, <clears throat> Everybody has a role, everybody has a job um, within a practice period. And you might have a few, you know, there's a, there's a role you play in the, the zendo. Um, so the person who rings the bell is called the doan. Um, the person who leads the chant is called the kokyo. Um, but that's just while you're in the zendo. And then you also might have some other job um, in a wider scope for the monastery. You might be the, um, the head of the kitchen 
practice or the director of the center or one of the abiding teachers. So, um, <clears throat> the interesting thing about monastic life, especially at Tassajara, is that whatever your role is, it's constantly shifting. So, just as you kind of learn to know what you're doing in a certain role, you're told to do something else. Oops. And the, the part of the practice of this is just being um, new again. So Suzuki Roshi um, was famously interested in beginner's mind, you know, the mind that's open to what is this? You know, what am I doing? Um, and so the setup of monastic life is kind of arranged in a way to evoke that for us again and again. Like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know this new role, this new job. <clears throat> and so there's an opportunity there to find our own bearing in being new or being kind of um, unsure of what it is we're supposed to do. There's a kind of... Um, maybe a stability within ourselves that we can search for. And I think that Zazen is, is um, engendering in us. Um, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, and that's okay, you know? Like, I'm not supposed to know what I'm doing on the first day of my job. Um, I think more often our sense is like, oh, I'm, I'm already doing it wrong or something. Um, <clears throat> So when we get to be new over and over again, <laughs> there's a kind of uh, accumulation of, of understanding that, oh, there's a process here of, um, of understanding what this role is, what, what the sort of expectations of the people around me are for me or for my role. Um, you know, my own sensibility, you know, what I'm bringing to that role. Um, so this is sort of a, a process of unraveling that, um, that we get to practice in Zen life. <clears throat> so part of what Zen practice um, can help us understand is that in any moment we are in certain role, you know, I'm, I'm the bell ringer and I have to be aware of the time, you know, to end the period on time. There's certain aspects of that role. Um, but that in the next moment, I may be asked to do something completely different. And so there's a, a kind of an engagement in the role, an engagement in this is what I'm doing now, or this is sort of what, what I can do to help support the people around me. Um, and then when I'm not being asked to do that, or I'm being asked to do something else explicitly, to put down that role that I was just doing, to kind of let it go completely and move fully into the next role. Um, so this correlates with our kind of moment-to-moment um, -moment practice. You know, can I, can I show up in this moment and, and be present to what's happening in my life and within me um, and then am I willing in the next moment to let go of what just happened and enter that moment fully? 
And part of sometimes the next moment's fullness is a kind of trace of the last moment, you know. Um, that's okay. That, that's, um, but it's this willingness to let go and enter something new. So, um, in the mornings here, um, but also at most Zen centers, part of the morning schedule is that after meditation and service, there's a short period of work that's meant to be a mindful, quiet, silent work time um, called soji. And in early in my Zen experience, I remember being kind of um, chastised or something for like trying to finish the job that I was doing and somebody said no like the bell has rung so like in in maybe a 10 or 15 minute work period you know somebody says please you know rake rake the you know the front area or sweep the walk and you know in the 10 minutes you get two-thirds of the way down the walk and then the bell rings or the the clappers hit and you know, I think my own sensibility, and I'm, I don't think I'm alone in this, was like, oh, but I have a job and I have to, you know, I, I'm almost to the end, I'll, I'll be there in a minute, you know. Um, and there's a kind of clear, um, or I, I appreciated the kind of clarity from the support of a sangha to say, no, actually, like, it's okay, like, the bell has rung, put away the rake, and come join us to bow out together. Um, you know, and there's this internal battle, like, I, but I, I want to finish this thing. Like, I'm sort of attached to finishing this thing. Um, and yet they're telling me to be somewhere else, and there's a kind of conflict. And maybe that persists for some time. And then um, at some point, it finally occurred to me that, oh, this is the lesson of this structure. The structure of Soji is trying to help me let go of this moment I was just in and enter the next moment. And I'm, and I'm kind of going kicking and screaming, you know, I'm, um, I'm wanting to stay in that last moment and, and make it perfect, you know, before I can do the next thing. <clears throat> but I don't think our life works like that. I don't think we get many opportunities to completely finish something to our satisfaction before moving on. <clears throat> So part of what we can learn in, in Zen practice is how to enter the role and also how to let go. And we start to kind of see, um, you know, another question that might come up then is like, where is the me in this? Um, I think when we, like in the world, when we have a, you know, a job for a year or two years or three years, there's a kind of an accumulation of experience that, you know, I am this person who does this job. You know, there's a kind of um, melding of um, my identity with the thing that I'm doing in lots of ways. It could also be family. Like, I am the, the, the parent. I am the child. Um, that can become, a, you know, a huge sense of what, you know, I am. <clears throat> But in Zen practice, when we have a role and then we're asked to put it down and enter another role, this becomes a little more unclear. Like, um, it's kind of thrown into question the, um, 
the assurance that I have that, that I am this person who does this thing. Um, if I'm being asked to let go of this thing, then who am I now? <clears throat> so in Buddhism, there's um, an, a very old teaching called the Three Marks of Existence. Um, <clears throat> and uh, they are impermanence, you know, that everything changes. Unsatisfactoriness is one translation of dukkha or, or suffering. And then the third is uh, no self or non self. So these are, in, in Buddhist language, these are marks of existence. So these are something that we can find in any moment and in any being. Um, so I think, you know, this practice of examining the roles we play and kind of being, um, trying to bring a kind of consciousness to, oh, I'm in this role right now, and this is what I have to, you know, these are the tasks for this. And then when that's done, to let that go and move on. Um, you know, perhaps we get to kind of glimpse these three marks as well. So we get to glimpse our own impermanence. Um, we get to glimpse our own suffering, our own dissatisfaction. Oh, I, but I want to finish this thing. I don't want to move on yet. But I'm being asked to move on. There's a kind of tension. Um, and then the third, no self. So... Perhaps in a full engagement in a role and then a sort of letting go of that role, um, you know, perhaps the me that, I, that I'm so sure of becomes a little hazy. Like that might actually be a good thing. <clears throat> so then there's just the self of this role. So I think in no self doesn't mean that like it's not a nihilistic thing. It's not that we don't exist or there's nothing here. Um, I think it just refers back to the first mark, which is impermanence. You know, what's here or what I'm doing is of a nature to change. It's not going to be this forever. Um, so no self. Um, might be better kind of termed or explained as no abiding self, no everlasting self. <clears throat> so I wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, Avalokiteshvara as a kind of um, as an interesting case in this kind of roles because Avalokiteshvara is the, uh, the bodhisattva of compassion and bodhisattvas are kind of archetypes they're, um, they're ways of seeing kind of potential qualities that we all are imbued with um, but I've always been fascinated with Avalokiteshvara because there's a, um, she or he or they have a different name in every language and often the role that they're kind of representing is explained differently. 
And there's a kind of morphing through all of the many roles that Avalokiteshvara kind of represents. So I think at first I'm talking about in Zen, there's very discrete roles. There's like, I'm the doan now, and then I do something else. But there's also this kind of spirit, and maybe um, spirit of compassion, of being with other beings, being open to other beings, that can kind of shift through all these roles. Um, So I like this piece from a recent um, Lion's Roar article on the art involving uh, Avalokiteshvara. Um, and the author says, Enlightened compassion has a face in Buddhist art and a Sanskrit name, Avalokiteshvara. This great cosmic being sits in meditation with lowered eyelids, looking inward into mind and downward to witness the lamentations of the world. Avalokiteshvara responds to an infinite infinitude of circumstance by acquiring new qualities, putting on new roles, robes, and accepting new names. So Guanyin in China, Kanon in Japan, Karuna Maya in Nepal, Lokeshvara and Chenrezig in Tibet, the Bodhisattva of Compassion shows us how to model new ways of acting that enable us to skillfully help other beings. So in a way, even the spirit of, of Avalokiteshvara is kind of dropping a role in a certain place and appearing in another role in, this, in, in another country and under a different name, under a, um, a pseudonym or something. Um, and in this morning service for the people in retreat, we um, chanted the um, Enmei Juku Kanan Gyo. So this is a, a common, we, every Wednesday night we chant this um, kind of celebration of Kanan, which is the Japanese um, title for Avalokiteshvara. Um, So recently I, I, I had a moment of being curious about my own ability to, so what I love or appreciate about the um, Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara is that primarily um, her gift is to just be there, to just be open and willing to experience whatever's happening. So the epithet, you know, hearer of the cries of the world or seer of the criers, cries of the world. So I think it's always a kind of sensory um, um, sensory openness, sensory opening, allowing difficulty, pain, you know, suffering to be seen and acknowledged um, and felt even. And then where do we find our own um, stability in that? I think that was the question that was kind of coming up recently for me is like <clears throat> I have experience of being very open to suffering maybe others or my own and then having it just feel overwhelming and wanting to kind of um, walk away or tune it out or numb or something um, <clears throat> and maybe there's been times where 
you know, especially through Zen practice or in Sashin or sitting in Zazen, where there's a kind of um, an ability for a moment to be upright and composed and feeling something very deeply, you know, feeling um, sadness or something. Um, and the, there's a kind of um, like a hidden joy in that full kind of um, fully felt and experienced kind of human humanness. Um, so I think that Avalokiteshvara is can be this um, um, encouragement for us that it is possible. And it is helpful. It is kind of, um, you know, when I think of the the times that we live in, you know, what what it is, that, what is it that I could do that would, you know, make a difference or something. Um, and often for me, the the number one thing I come back to is like um, this openness, this ability to listen. You know, there's a lot of anger and a lot of um, hurt feelings in our kind of very much. Um, on the surface of our lives. So, um, I have this wish to be um, both open to that and kind of willing to feel it. Um, and then I think there is a, the next step is some wisdom leads us into action from there. But I think many times, maybe in my own experience, um, I want to skip that first step of kind of open feeling that allows a kind of wisdom, that allows a, a kind of informed um, response, that I want to just sort of jump to, this shouldn't be so, you know, reality is wrong somehow. <clears throat> So in speaking of, of roles, um, especially within a Zen life, um, we're at a very um, hopeful and, and kind of wonderful moment as a, as a Sangha, as a group, um, that there are um, kind of new established roles that are developing to kind of grow and structure the Sangha that we, that we practice in. Um, I, I, I came here in April and I was hired to be the director of the center and I think the center hadn't had a director in a long time before I got here um, and very recently we've asked um, Bruce to step up as the Eno or the sort of head of the meditation hall um, and um, I want to talk a little bit about you know, what that means for all of us and then um, very soon we're going to um, empower Mako to be the head teacher here. Um, and, um, you know, this is a center that's been kind of without a head teacher for a while. So this is a, you know, big opportunity to create this structure of practice for all of us to benefit from. Um, and... I'm, you know, very excited to see my friend, um, you know, enter this role. Um, 
and I know that she can um, can do it well. Um, but part of what I want to talk about is how do we support each other in these roles? You know, how do we support Mako to be the head teacher? What does that mean for us? Mm. So um, this is um, Ehe Dogen, who's the founder of our school of Zen. Um, these are his standards for his monastery. So he's very detailed and elaborate about what happens, all of the details of monastic life, including roles. You know, so this is some 800 plus years ago, um, explaining these roles that we're still kind of creating and enacting and inhabiting in our Zen life together. Um, so he says, the Eno's job is called the delight of the assembly in China. Although the position of Eno is the remains of venerable Madgal Yayana, it is just like the majestic dignity of all the Buddha Tathagatas. So this is called the Eno's regarding with love all who arrive and compassionately nourishing monks so that the assembly's heart becomes the Eno's own heart and the mindfulness of the way becomes the Eno's own mindfulness. Therefore, this attitude can make parents into nurturing parents, can make children into loving children. In that case, the Eno is just the rudder of the boat crossing the great river or a long rainy spell after a great drought. It's interesting in this discussion of roles that Dogen is saying, you know, one of the, um, somehow that when the Eno, um, when the Eno's own heart is the sort of heart of the Sangha, when their own mindfulness sort of um, mutually benefits our mindfulness, that, that when that happens, this attitude can make parents into nurturing parents, can make children into loving children, so that um, part of what we're doing in practice is to kind of help us fulfill each of our roles in our life, that um, what we learn here, we take to the various roles of our life outside of the temple, um, and maybe we can inhabit those with a level of mindfulness or an open heart. So it's interesting to me that um, it's almost part of the Eno's job description to kind of help us with that. Um, and so how do we help the Eno kind of help us with that? I think for one, um, you know, asking questions is a good one. It's very simple, you know, like, and it's a way of, of, of interacting with people, like, um, and sometimes it's as simple as, like, how can I help, you know? What would, what would you like me to do? Um, and then say we're, we're on the Doan Rio and we're ringing bells. It's that... Um, we kind of open up a willingness 
within ourselves to the Eno or to our practice leaders to say, okay, I'm willing to hear what you um, would like me to do, or I'm willing to hear how you would like me to do this differently. Um, And I think that's great practice for us to um, maybe mitigate our strong assurances of that we do know how to do this and don't tell me what to do. You know, there's that kind of part of us. So we come here and there's an intention to like set that part of us down and just say, how can I help, you know? Um, So I think with both the Eno or the head teacher, I think those are kind of good, you know, a very basic thing, you know, just to sort of um, present yourself to them and say, how can I help, you know? But then there are um, a kind of deeper levels of what we are doing together here that um, are a way of, of doing this same kind of su- mutual support. So um, there's a, uh, a, z- a Japanese term, um, kano doko, which has a number of different translations, and I think it doesn't necessarily translate so easily into English. Um, it could be, uh, so this is Kokyo Henkel says, it could be translated literally as intuition and response, the way of communion. Um, other translations include mutual affinity and interaction, mutual resonance between stimulus and response. Um, sympathetic resonance. Mm-hmm. So we're in retreat right now and we're kind of working together silently. Um, and perhaps in that silence, in that kind of, there's not so much of an, inter- not so much of an opportunity to kind of have the direct, how can I help, like conversation. Um, although it's still possible, but maybe in silence we start to kind of feel into another way of um, inquiring, kind of, hmm, I wonder what, if that person's okay or if there's something I can do to help that. And then we, we do that from the perspective of our role. Um, so, um, you know, as we get to know the forms, sometimes there's a kind of, at times there can be a, um, you know, maybe a frustration with, with things not running well or something that not everybody knows these forms and it's not running smoothly and I'm, I'm not happy about that. Um, I think that we can, um, So the roles help give us structure in those moments. Um, the role of, you know, um, what time the period of zazen should end. You know, if, if I have some internal feeling like, well, I'd like it to end five minutes earlier today or something. Um, it's actually the role of the ino and the doan to have made that decision for me. And I can kind of give over to that, um, which is a relief, you know. 
we are so in charge of our own lives in kind of microscopic ways all the time um, that coming to a center and sort of um, filling a role and just allowing the things that are not within my role to be handled by the people that are, that are handling those things um, is a kind of patience practice, is a kind of... Um, a willingness to be just where we are with what's happening around us. Um, so one of the images that's used to um, kind of describe this kano doko, this mutual response, this kind of understanding that can uh, arise um, often in silence of what's needed, what's, what's this moment asking. Um, is this uh, age-old image of a, of a chick that's been um, um, gestating in an egg that when the time comes that um, this chick is, uh, that it's somehow necessary to suddenly enlarge the world, you know, to that the sort of space of confinement um, is no longer serving us that the chick begins to, you know, tap its beak on the shell and try and um, break free. But often, it, you know, the chick doesn't have the strength to fully just break the shell. And so the mother um, is required to sort of peck from the outside and help break down the shell so that the, the chick can kind of emerge into this larger world. Um, I don't think there's like a, a memo or a telegram that goes back and forth between the mom and the chick about, okay, like it's the 11th at 12 that we need to start this, you know, um, activity now. So what is it that kind of, how do we know when it's time to kind of break the shell um, from both sides? You know, there's a kind of, um, in an unspoken call and response of, Kanodoko. Mm -hmm. So Suzuki Roshi talked a little bit about this in a, in a lecture called Sincere Practice and Way-Seeking Mind. Um, and I will try and post this because it's also, it's about way-seeking mind and in the practice period we had some questions this past week about what does that mean? How do I give a way-seeking mind talk? How do I talk about the history of my practice? Um, but Suzuki Roshi says, you know, we human beings should be always harmonious and we should work in unity. So we call a Buddhist group harmonious sangha. Um, <clears throat> seem to find it, but he said something about um, when we offer incense, we, um, we are asking Buddha to come. So when we um, do something sincerely um, with our whole heart and intention, uh, 
we feel we are met. Um, and he's, he's sort of saying, you know, I think we all have this experience that when we kind of really give to something, we feel like there's a response. Whether that's Buddha, you know, the universe, maybe just our friends who are nearby and kind of seeing what's needed. Um, but this kanodoko, this kind of activity and um, meeting of that activity of kind of intuitive understanding um, is a level at which we can support you know, those around us within the Sangha. So perhaps, you know, it's just a question for us, you know, to hold, like, how can I help the head teacher be the head teacher? Um, and there's, you know, it, there's lots of roles we can play, you know, even with the same person. So maybe Mako is the head teacher. Maybe she's our teacher, you know, and individually. Um, but maybe she's also kind of our friend. Um, so I think what might be helpful is that um, we be clear with ourselves what role we're playing in a given moment. And so to help a teacher be a teacher, we have to be the student. Um, so what does that role look like? Then we get to investigate, well, how do I be a student? Um, and then, you know, and maybe that's in a certain service of a ceremony, or while you're in the zendo, I'm the, you know, I'm the role of the student. I'm going to inhabit this role as both a kind of um, curiosity, like what does it mean to be a student, but also as a kind of... Um, a giving to the teacher. So, so Suzuki Roshi often talks about that there's a mutually um, <clears throat> supporting that, that to have a teacher, you need to have students. And to, to be a student, you need to have a teacher, that they, they arise together. Um, so uh, like I was saying before, we can um, be the role of student in certain moments, you know, and really allow the teacher to be the teacher. Um, and then perhaps in a different circumstance, you know, in a different moment, we drop that role and we enter some other role. But I think that the, the role of teacher is pretty rare. Um, and it's pretty rare in my life that I've been willing to call somebody my teacher or to acknowledge that I was the student. There's a kind of... Um, There's an, there's an ego thing or something of not wanting to, to need help, not wanting to be um, disempowered or something, some, some feeling of worry um, that's kept me maybe from, from being the student um, in certain situations in my life. Um, <clears throat> But it's a rare um, uh, occurrence to have this kind of uh, 
relationship and really valuable and really valuable to Zen practice. Um, and so anyway, I hope you'll sort of um, maybe just internally question what it means to have a head teacher at Austin Zen Center and what that would look like to support that. Um, and there'll be further opportunities to kind of discuss it or ask questions, but um, I think it's a good question to ask, and I think it's um, helpful a little bit to do it in advance of the ceremony, so that we kind of all stride into the ceremony knowing what we're doing in some way. <clears throat> Yes, Marco. I think I was ready for questions. How do we support you in your role as director? Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think the number one thing is um, is showing up to the sangha. You know, showing up to events or meditation, so that. Um, I don't get to be a director if nobody's here, you know. So it's the energy of um, of us being here together that gives me this opportunity. Um, and I feel like we're heading in the right direction. I mean, I think even in the short time that I've been here, there's a kind of um, um, a steady kind of um, building of regular kind of attendance from, from new folks maybe and um, you know, support from folks that have been around a while that um, makes me feel supported in being here as director. Um, we will need volunteers for a lot of different things. I think as we grow, you know, if the potential is for us to grow as a Sangha, that will kind of need more volunteers to support that. Um, and, you know, I, I'll kind of make it my responsibility or, or in, you know, um, association with, with Mako and the board, but um, to, to help create roles that people can very clearly kind of help take up the work of the Sangha. Um, So yeah, thank you for the question. Are there any other thoughts or questions about the talk or retreat? Yeah. I wanted to ask uh, about the, the roles. You mentioned that the importance of not becoming so over-identified with the mm -hmm. role and being able to move mm -hmm. from role to role. Yeah. So I think for all of us here, there's a continuing role of being a Zen student mm -hmm. and a Zen practitioner and embodying the teachings mm -hmm. that go along with that. Mm -hmm. But it seems that, that there are some roles that are less permeable than others. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the term abiding teacher, mm -hmm. for instance, the word abiding. Mm -hmm. And I, want, I wondered if you talk about uh, the role, leadership roles, and you mentioned the head teacher. I know there was some discussion about the title mm -hmm. for a head teacher, mm -hmm. and 
uh, is there's certain aspects of that role and, and your role perhaps too that um, are not so permeable. And if how, we how so? Can I ask you for specifics on that? Well, to be very specific, you know, the, the difficulties that we've had in the past over relationships with the students and teachers. Mm -hmm. And that that is, um, a, we all have obligations in our relationships with one another that are defined by the, um, by our precepts mm -hmm. that um, are really an outgrowth of our practice, mm -hmm. we're studying and teaching. But it seems that there are other roles that are, have a more, more profound sense in that regard, mm -hmm. and that forgetting those roles can be, the implications of those roles can be, it's not as permeable, it's not something that you can, one day you might, one uh, practice period you might be, for instance, the uh, uh, go on, next practice period you might be head student, mm -hmm. or tenzo, and you can fully leave one role and move into another, mm -hmm. that there are leadership roles that are, uh, uh, kind of continuing or abiding mm -hmm. responsibility. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so the, they're not all different, and I wondered if you, am I on the right track or am I? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. Thank you. Um, and I think every role that we play in our life has certain responsibilities or has the potential to impact and hurt other people. You know, depending on how we, we inhabit that role. Um, and I think also even people in positions of leadership or um, responsibility are human too. Like they have other aspects of their life. And so it's important, I think, actually in supporting teachers that we can allow them to be more than teachers. You know, We can allow them to be teachers in a moment and we can allow them to have their own life beyond that too. Um, but I think what you're alluding to is that there's the potential for those, you know, where those relationships um, fall, that the reality of, of one aspect or role of my life, like, you know, can affect and hurt other roles of my life. Um, and I think that is, you know, that is each individual's practice. You know, how do I minimize um, potential harm, potential hurt? Um, and I don't know that there's like a, you know, I agree that at certain um, uh, positions of leadership, we have to be kind of increasingly mindful of how our, how our actions affect other people. Um, explicitly because we don't, we don't want to like run people away from the Dharma. Like what we're creating together here is inclusive. We want people to feel okay and welcome to be here. I think that's deeply important to, to me. I know it's deeply important to Mako that um, we don't want to disturb um, somebody in a way that doesn't allow them to come to a center of practice. Yeah. That's a big wound. That's a big wound. It's 
so we do our best, you know, to um, to stay aware of other people, you know. That's that's a big part of our practice too, that I'm not just lost in what I want or need or how do I get what I want or need. But what is you know, what is, how is that gonna affect the people around me? Thank you very much.